Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We have covered Kweishel a few times here on TechBuzz, but probably not to the extent that it deserves. Mostly, we've talked about it as a secondary player in a bigger battlefield. For example, in our episode 9 on the epic ByteDance versus Tencent war that you should totally review if you haven't, I know I just did, or in a more recent episode on Zhihu, China's Quora, that it sank some money into recently. Well, it will be relegated no more to supporting actor status. Today, Kwai Show the original Chinese short video app, the OG, is in the starring role. And not because it's newly in the news or anything like that, but because it's always in the news these days. I know. In the West, the narrative has all been about the new BAT, how ByteDance has these monster hits in the form of Toutiao and TikTok. So all we hear about is ByteDance this and ByteDance that. But at least in the realm of short video... It wasn't always obvious that ByteDance was winning. Not at all. I mean, we're not suggesting that it was ever close to being K-A-T, but at least in the short video world, if you were asking people a year ago who they'd bet on to be in the market-leading position right now, a good portion of people might have said Show, and for good reason, too. They'd been at the game for longer and were, in fact, the only sizable player for a long while. And exactly how sizable is Kwaisho today? On September 12th, the company published a content ecosystem report. In May of this year, they said, Kwaisho exceeded 200 million users in DAU and 400 million in MAU. Kwaisho has 1.3 billion pieces of original content on its platform. And 200 million users have published a piece of content in the last year alone. But there are storm clouds hanging overhead. According to Trust Data, the gap in DAU between Douyin, the domestic Chinese version of TikTok, and Kuaishou have surged from less than 80 million to more than double that at 160 million. Yup, Douyin now has a DAU of 365 million versus Kuaishou's just 207 million. And it's not just the absolute numbers that are alarming, but the trend as well. You see, Kuaishou's numbers have slid almost 15% from its record high of 240 million two months ago in July. But Douyin has lost less than 5% since then. Sure, many of these quote-unquote time-wasting apps have some seasonality. But for Kuaishou, the situation is exacerbated by the fact that the company made a very, very public announcement to try and exceed 300 million DAU by Chinese New Year's of 2020. That is, by the way, January 25th, so less than 80 days away. So today, we're going to talk about Kuaishou. 
its history, its development, how it's somewhat similar to, but also very different from Douyin and TikTok, and check in on its recent experiments with new avenues of growth. At the end of this episode, you can let us know if you think that the two companies are really in a duel to the death for the same business, or if Kuaishou is not really Douyin's nemesis, but in fact the anti-Douyin, anti-TikTok. Hi everyone, we are Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. We are a bi-weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China. We uncover and contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage. So you can be smarter about the world of China tech. Tech Buzz China is a part of Pandaily.com, an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Rayma, and I'm your other co-host, Yingying Liu. We would like to acknowledge our partners, Deal Street Asia and Sup China, the creator of the Seneca Podcast Network. In addition to Tech Buzz, you can also find Seneca, which covers current affairs, new voices, and Ta for Ta on women, the business-oriented China Econ Talk, and the Tyson Seneca Business Brief from China's leading business magazine. As always, if you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever other platform you use. Okay, so per usual, let's start with a brief company overview. Kuaishou actually started off in 2011 as a company called GIF Kuaishou. That's G-I-F, which was like a tool for making funny GIFs that you can use in your Weibo posts. It was started by this person named Cheng Yixiao, who was formerly an engineer at Dianlianwang. That's a Chinese clone of Tumblr. And he had also worked at Renren, which early on, if you remember, we did an episode on it, was basically China's Facebook clone. Cheng had two other co-founders, and they received funding from this venture capital fund called Morningside Ventures, or Chenxing Ziben. It's a really, really well-regarded early-stage fund in China, and they've invested in mega hits like Citrip, Xiaomi, and what have you. Fast forward two years, and the app had run out of money. Morningside decided that instead of just letting the company die, it wanted to bring in new talent and recapitalize the company by diluting everyone fifty percent. That's a pretty aggressive move, but it turned out to be the right one. Su Hua turned out to be pivotal. He's your typical precocious nerd turned entrepreneur. Per his Tsinghua University Distinguished Alumnus Biography, at the young age of twelve, he was already coding away on his Palm Pilot-like studying device. He came from a small town in Hunan, home of spicy food and Chairman Mao, as well as Chinese entertainment. It's not one of the big provinces in China, ranking seventh, but it has had a disproportionate influence on Chinese culture and modern-day entertainment in particular. I wish I can say Suhua took advantage of that cultural richness, but by every report, he is just a big nerd. 
After completing his bachelor's degree at Tsinghua School of Software, he enrolled in the PhD program, only to drop out halfway to work for Google. Two and a half years in, he got bitten by the entrepreneurial bug and launched his first startup, a video-based advertising system. This was in 2008, so it wasn't the greatest timing. Video advertising was nascent, and add it to the great financial crisis. Well, you can guess how that company ended. Jobless, but with excellent credentials, he next went to Baidu, where he was on the engineering team that created Baidu's back then new advertising system, which launched in late 2009. According to him, it was there that he learned how to lead a team and not just create product. And when it came time to quit a few years later and launch his second startup, he picked the search vertical. Well, that didn't work out either, but it wasn't a complete waste. Alibaba bought the assets and integrated it into UC Browser, their product. And now he was one of the most sought-after people in China tech. He's someone with both Silicon Valley and Beijing blue chip tech company experience, but he was also a serial entrepreneur with an exit under his belt. And this was one morning site suggested to him that he should go to Give Kuaishou. According to him, the really interesting users in the Kuaishou community. As we can imagine, GIF animators must be fascinated him, and so he agreed to join. The stupendously generous option pool that was created—about fifty percent or so—was probably also a key factor. And what a great decision that was, because on paper, at least, Suhua is now worth over two billion dollars. But he couldn't have known that when he was joining this effective restart of a failed social media toolmaker back in early two thousand fourteen. Well, yes and no. Before officially joining, Suhao was already advising the company, and Give Kuaishou had already, under the advice of Morningside, and because its original tool was simply not sustainable, started transitioning into a community slash social network. The tool was great and all, and experienced good growth in the first few months, but there were all sorts of problems with just being a utility app. Yeah, Kuaishou could see that the only way to survive in the long term was to become a content platform where people stayed to consume videos that other people made, not just make them and leave. But while that decision sounds really intuitive today, it was a dark period in the company's history because it resulted in a ninety percent decline in active users. That must have been exceedingly painful to watch from the driver's seat, but it was ultimately the right decision. And has really informed the company's core strategy over the next five years. Kuaishou, to this day, is still obsessed with creating community and connection between its users. It was the one insight that saved them from the brink early on, and then created its unstoppable growth in the next five years. And the company really was pretty unstoppable by 2015 standards, anyway. Douyin and TikTok have smashed records of how fast a mobile product can grow. But back in 2014, even in China with its large internet population, Kuaishou was doing very well. Just a few months after Suhua joined, Kuaishou hit a million DAU. Well-known VC fund DCM showed up and invested 15 million dollars. Right after that, Sequoia China jumped in as well. So now it had some of the most notable investors in China on its cap table. That's not bad. But it was really when DST sank in a hundred million dollars and nearly made it into a unicorn that things began to feel really serious. We all know before SoftBank's Vision Fund, one of the most aggressive investors, was DST. 
So while Kuaishou had grown its DAU to almost nine million in just six months, from one million, if you remember, and this is indeed a very impressive. I do think that not too many funds were going to deploy a hundred million dollars at that time. Not yet. Not for a barely one hundred person company that had no revenue whatsoever. Kuaishou, though, had hit upon a pressing user need because it continued to grow like wildfire to twenty million DAU, where it hit a snag. It wasn't declining, but users were being leered at the time to competing video apps like Xiao Kaxiu and Miao Pai. For those of you who are familiar with China Tech, these apps had deep Weibo integrations and tons of celebrity endorsement. So, understandably, they were getting most of the spotlight. It sounds a little similar from what it might be facing today from ByteDance, but for whatever reason, Kuaishou didn't get into the celebrity game. Puzzling, really, because it's such a common tactic used by media companies in China, which you probably can guess from our last episode on KOLs and idols. But the external narrative told by Kuaishou, and which has stayed fairly consistent in the last five years, is that Kuaishou is an app for the masses, and the company is determined to entertain the grassroots of China, the Taogen, not just its elite. That's definitely a central and defining characteristic of the company, which we'll go into in just a second. But before we do that, back to Kuaishou's fundraising history, which now has us in 2016 when Baidu decided to invest a cool 200 million dollars into the company, who had yet to start monetizing but was considering advertising as its key revenue stream. Remember that Su Hua had spent a few years at Baidu in search advertising, so it just seemed like a natural fit. And it was true that at the time that option was indeed available to Kuaishou, but this was 2016, remember, and there was a bubble going on, and that bubble, which we've covered numerous times now, was the live streaming bubble. Definitely go back to TechBuzz episode seven if you want to understand how that all came together. But yeah, before the short video craze in China, there was live streaming. So obviously, if you're Suhua and you aren't quite sure what the proper way is to monetize your product, what do you do? You experiment. And Suhua's reasoning was this: Kuaishou is a product that's centered around people, not products. It's hard to have an algorithm that was great at creating people-to-people connections and recommending them products at the same time. So when it came down to it, he decided to bet on live streaming. It could have failed, and maybe he would have gone back to building out the advertising platform. But no, it was a great success from the get-go, and that's why we are here today, with Kuaishou rumored to have a revenue forecast of over four billion U.S. dollars this year, a fifty percent increase from last year, by the way, and essentially all of it from live streaming, with some de minimis amount from advertising. But let's finish the story of Kuaishou's fundraising. After Baidu, Tencent jumped in and led a $350 million investment in 2017, following up the year after with another few hundred million, and finally they were rumored to top it up with a pre-IPO round of a billion dollars this fall. The rumor is that the post-money valuation will be $25 billion, which is a number that's actually been thrown around since the beginning of this year. The company has been mum on its fundraising. But it seems that it's raised about two billion dollars so far, and it allegedly reached break-even last year, with hopes for an IPO in the spring. That's a pretty big company, right? 
And at 200 million DAU, why has it been covered so little in the press relative to a company like ByteDance and its products? Sure, a $25 billion valuation is no $75 billion, which is ByteDance's valuation, but I always thought that even before the success of TikTok, there were some murmurs of ByteDance here in the West. But never any Kwai show. Well, it turns out that at least in terms of media exposure, Kuaishou wasn't even well-known inside of China until mid-2016. How is that possible, you ask, when there's such an active tech media community in China? To put it delicately, yes, the management team's reticence has something to do with it, but most of the silence was because Kuaishou serves a population that doesn't have much of a voice in China. Yeah, we're talking about the poor, the rural, the less educated, and basically the downtrodden. We've talked about the rural-urban divide in detail already, which is the reason, by the way, for the rapid rise of companies like Pinduoduo, the subject of our TechBuzz episode 17, from 0 to 23 billion in three years. We've also explained that it isn't just foreigners who find this chasm difficult to cross, but also local Chinese people. Unfortunately for Kuaishou, its first exposure on mainstream media in China was this very scathing opinion piece from a popular blogger called which I will translate loosely as Notes from the Coral Underworld. That was a pretty disturbing piece with lots of shock value. Basically, it describes how bizarre, in a bad way, the content on Kuaishou was, this uber-popular video app that was everywhere if you looked at top app store rankings, but that you would never have heard of unless you lived in rural China. An example of popular Kuaishou content might be, for example, this one villager who posted daily videos of himself setting off fireworks in his pants in all sorts of situations. Or here's another one, a middle-aged lady who ate all sorts of things on camera, broken light bulbs, human feces, you name it, she'll eat it. The Chinese internet was horrified. Who were these people doing such horrible things to themselves for views and likes and virtual gifts? Yes, we know that there are weirdos on the internet in general, but Kuaishou's content, the portion that was highlighted at least, was downright psycho. And urban dwellers didn't find these videos entertaining. They found it sad and incomprehensible. Kuaishou showed them a part of China that they didn't know. Millions of people who led sad and pathetic lives. But what was worse than that was that these people didn't even realize it. Of course, that was the subjective opinion of the urban elite, and it came with a lot of judgment and derision. And obviously, just a fraction of Kuaishou content would fall under the category of disturbing to watch. But that stereotype for Kuaishou has stuck. Everyone in China thinks that Kuaishou is for villagers, or maybe migrant workers, but basically it's not for the rich or the hip. And I think we would say that stereotype is still largely correct. Right. Referring back to Kuaishou's own ecosystem report, as of now, still only 30% of users are from first and second tier cities, versus more like half or so for Douyin. And the Chinese internet still likes to say that it's Nan Douyin Bei Kuaishou, or Douyin in the south and Kuaishou in the north. Because why? Well, 
The South has historically been more economically developed than the North in China. In reality, though, I like to add, as of September, actually Kuaishou has 40% of users from the South. So, not that bad. But honestly, the two apps are unmistakably different if you just bother to download and try them. Kuaishou, you can download directly from the App Store. But Douyin, you can only download the international version, named TikTok, if you live abroad. No worries, though. TikTok gives you a good feeling for Douyin, and you can always search YouTube for viral Douyin clips to get an idea. Basically, the feeling you should get from Douyin is that it's a hip person's product. From the logo design to the interface, it's almost Instagram-y and it's aesthetic, and that's on purpose. But what happens when you log on to Kuaishou? Well, if you log on to Kuaishou, like I just did, chances are you aren't going to be seeing wicked dance moves synced to electronic music like you'd see on a TikTok or Douyin. Despite logging in with my WeChat account, which by the way has my location set to San Francisco, I was immediately recommended a bunch of videos under the trending option that showed people karaokeing or cooking or just doing something otherwise utterly normal. There was a good mix of pretty girls, but there were also plenty of very, very unremarkable looking people. And that's after filter effects. So when you click on the clips, a lot of the background music, too, are folk songs or something similar, like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, definitely two very different apps in terms of content. But that difference in content is the outcome and not the cause of making a video product for two vastly different demographics. The cause is actually a fundamentally different product vision. While both companies work on short video, they aren't just products with just a different user base and different UI UX. They're actually very different companies. I'd like to draw upon Zhihu, China's Quora, where a top-voted answer did what I think was a great job of answering the question. What is the key difference between Douyin and Kuaishou? This person tried to arrive at the answer quantitatively, not just qualitatively. First, they looked at the number of likes on recommended videos on Douyin and Kuaishou front pages when you log in. There was a clear trend that Douyin recommended more videos with a larger amount of likes, say over 10,000 likes, than Kuaishou, which means that it was recommending videos that were already hot, whereas Kuaishou was actually trying to distribute the traffic amongst more videos by having a majority of its recommendations with much fewer likes. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe, now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. The creators behind these recommended videos were also very different. 
A higher percentage of creators that made it to the recommended section already had a large number of fans, whereas again, for Kwaisho, it was more evenly distributed. This is in line with how the companies describe themselves, actually. Remember we said that Su Hua's narrative has always been that he wanted the average person to have a chance to succeed on Kwaishou, whereas for ByteDance, its algorithm has been known to create Baokuan, which basically means super popular viral videos that sometimes make it into the mainstream. I mean, don't get us wrong. It's not that Kwaishou doesn't also try to create trends or memes or virality, but it just does so to a lesser degree than ByteDance. And that's because since its first original pivot from gift-making tool to content platform, it's always stuck to the philosophy of social networking in its product. In as much as you can make friends on a short video platform anyway. But you can see it in small product decisions, like allowing for nested comments, where people can and do reply to each other and have virtual conversations that way. Versus on TikTok, where you can upload a comment, but your replies won't be nested underneath and it won't feel like a conversation. If you go back to our episode on live streaming and watch, if you haven't, the excellent documentary, The People's Republic of Desire, that we talk about a lot, you'll find that for many rural Chinese residents, indeed, it is the human connection they're craving, an authentic connection, not some aspirational lifestyle like you see in the cities or on urban influencer apps like Xiaohongshu. Many of the top live streamers are just normal people who make good conversation and make you feel like they're your friend. They're really different from the social media influencers who are showcasing you their luxurious vacations and lives. And that philosophy is what helped Kwaisho thrive for such a long time. And for a while, even in early 2018, the two apps weren't even comparable in scale. But as we all know, Douyin exploded in popularity and exceeded Kwaisho shortly thereafter. Kwaisho has lost its undisputed lead in this category at least in terms of active users. And that has spurred the usually quiet Suhua to finally make a big announcement earlier this year. I don't think Kwaisho's BHAG, that's big, hairy, audacious goal, for those of you who haven't read the Jim Collins classic, is well known in the US. But in China, pretty much everyone has heard of this charge towards 300 million DAU before Spring Festival 2020 goal from Kwaisho management. 2020年春節之前三億DAU. That's right. On June 18th, 2019, Su Hua wrote a company-wide memo that proclaimed a new phase for Kwaishou, a company that the founders felt was no longer living up to its name, which, by the way, means quick hand. Kwaishou had in fact become a complacent and unacceptably slow 8,000-person company, which is true, if you compare it to the frenetic pace of change over at ByteDance, anyway. I think a degree of rigidness is to be expected of any large organization. But what Su Hua announced next is what stunned the China internet startup community. In beginning this battle to defend the future, remember militaristic metaphors come easily to those educated in mainland China, Su Hua's first move was to proclaim a goal for 50% DAU growth in six months' time. Internally, it's apparently known as K3. And trust me, Kwaishou is all about the K3. When I visited Kwaishou headquarters in late June this year, it was pasted everywhere, including in the bathroom stalls. But 
how is it actually executing on the K3? Well, it's doing what I see as a lot of small experiments, hoping to create the next hit. Not at all different, by the way, from Nemesis ByteDance, who's always launching new products. It's just that Show has really stepped up the volume. Since 2018, it's made attempts at gaming live streaming, a Tinder-like product, an e-learning app, even one focused on EDM, which is a fast-growing fan base in China. But let us tell you about the latest two products, because we think they give you an idea of where this company is trying to innovate. Ban, which translates to Kuaishou Super Speedy version, doesn't have an English name and was launched in August of this year. It works kind of like Qitoukiao, which is a mobile content company in China that listed on the NASDAQ last year under ticker QTT. If I had to summarize Kuaishou Super Speedy's main strategy in one sentence, it's that it basically pays its users some minuscule amount of money for using its product and for promoting it to their friends. Sounds odd? Well, not really. It can actually work pretty well for people with lots of time and who have a high sensitivity to money, even if it's just pennies we're talking about. I tried to find this super speedy app, by the way, but you can't even find it on Apple's App Store, which makes sense since its target users are probably not using iPhones. At a slim 40 megabytes, a little less than half the size of Kuaishou proper, it's primarily for people who are on basic Android devices. Well, super speedy might not have been speedy enough in generating additional DAU, because just a few weeks ago, Kuaishou announced a new app to its family called Taizan. Unlike super speedy, it is available on the Apple App Store, so we downloaded it for fun. It had a cleaner UX, but wasn't that different from Kuaishou itself. In fact, we couldn't figure out the difference initially. But that was precisely the point we found out. Taizan is actually just an app that collects the best of Kuaishou and shows it to you. All you can do is consume and comment. There isn't even an upload option, at least not for now. Something that you notice immediately upon logging in, though, is that the videos are organized by hashtag. For example, the pet video in the middle of my feed actually had a crying emoticon on it, followed by the words, 看着看着就哭了, or hashtag made me cry. Sure enough, the video is devastatingly sad. And if you swipe right, you can see the nearest 600 videos also categorized under the same hashtag. The second micro-innovation is the auto-scrolling comments at the bottom of the page. Instead of the comments being effectively on another page that you manually scroll through. You can still do that, of course, by clicking on the speech bubble icon. But if you ask me, it's a nice way of feeling like you're interacting with everyone else who's viewed the video without the messiness that comes with bullet comments that's popular in communities like Bilibili. How this is going to take the Kwai family of apps to 300 million DAU and beyond? Hey, I don't know. But I'm not convinced that they've launched anything worth watching just yet. I mean... I don't want to be mean here, but Kuaishou seems to be struggling. Now, its core business so far seems to be still pretty stable and fairly safe from Douyin, primarily thanks to the really different business model. I mean, Douyin's is in advertising, right? As is the entirety of ByteDance's vast empire. But how long will that last? Especially with Douyin also getting into live streaming e-commerce. I mean, e-commerce 
is a subset of activities Quaisho creators use the platform for, but it's a vast opportunity and attracting a ton of competition, like we discussed on the last episode. Well, you're not the only one. Other analysts are confused as well. Some have pointed out that aside from animation video platform AC Fun, which Kwaisho purchased last June, none of Kwaisho's 10 plus new product attempts in the past two years have been particularly successful. And as for staving off Dolian, well, not only has ByteDance made a big push into lower tier cities, new stats show that there is high overlap between the user bases. We don't know how exactly this is calculated, by the way, but that number is 46.5%, and we think it means that half of the users of Kwaisho are also on Douyin. That sounds pretty high, right? Well, unclear, really. I mean, does it mean that the two platforms are so differentiated that people are installing both? Like, you might want to subscribe to, uh, I don't know, ESPN and HBO and use it for completely different purposes, or that you're not particularly attached to either of them. And when you've got a few minutes here and there, you're equally likely to use Kwaisho or Douyin to alleviate your boredom. If I had to guess based on corporate spin, it would be the former. And that's kind of validated by our own personal interactions with these apps. But it's really hard to know what the collective experience is for hundreds of millions of users. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. What do you think, Ray? Should we wrap this up today and summarize our learnings? Yep. This industry is so interesting and changing so quickly that it's really hard to know when to stop with our research and analysis. But I think this is as good a point to stop as any. So let me start. So first off, we explained the history of Kwaisho, which was founded in 2011 as a gift maker and had to undergo a painful transition to video-based social network, which is how it defines itself today. But transition it did. And despite losing 90% of its users in the process, it came out of the other side much stronger than before. Another key event that further strengthened it was the recruitment of former Googler and Baidu engineer Su Hua to be their CEO after the transition. Also a painful transition because everyone had to agree to 50% dilution. But again, worth it because the company was break-even last year, expects to generate over $4 billion in revenue this year, and is supposedly negotiating a pre-IPO round led by longtime investor Tencent at a $25 billion valuation. Almost all of that revenue, by the way, comes from live streaming, which makes it totally different from ByteDance's Douyin. Douyin started off mostly on advertising, true to its ByteDance roots. In fact, in 2018, the two products were both rumored to have generated almost $3 billion in revenue, but their revenue splits were essentially reversed. 90% from live streaming for Kwaisho, while 90% from advertising for Douyin. All alleged results, of course, and unconfirmed by the companies. But besides the difference in business model, which might change, by the way, as live streaming e-commerce becomes the next big thing, the real difference is in the two companies' philosophies, 
Walt Douyin is really good at engaging the mostly white collar young urban youth with their filters and hip music. Suhua has maintained that Kuaishou's users are not cool, but instead, or the mean person in China. And by mean, we mean average. And by mean, he doesn't mean temperament, but the fact that arithmetically, only 7% of all total possible Chinese users are in first tier cities while 93% of the population is in second and third tier cities. So that averaged out person, who by the way, isn't so well educated nor rich and doesn't really care about luxury goods because they're still too focused on getting by in life, are entertained by and need very different things. And most importantly, they aren't interested in seeing influencers showcase some lifestyle that will forever be out of reach for them. They're interested in feeling some emotional connection to others online. People just like themselves. A great way to put that might be 生活和表演的差别, or the difference between real life, quote unquote, and performance. So as Suhua himself says, if you don't get kuaishou, which I'll have to admit, I don't really feel it, that's apparently because I'm part of the 20% elite. And as for the remaining 80% of the population, well, except for QQ and WeChat, very few companies in China have served this group of people because of their low purchasing power. When you put it that way, I'm almost moved to tears by Suhua's social mission. But then I remember that Pinduoduo, Chutoutiao, and basically a whole ton of Chinese companies are taking on this exact narrative and selling stuff to this same group of people. And it's just a big macro trend. Nothing special. All right, tech buzzers, what do you think? Do you think that Kuaishou is the anti-TikTok and that the two really serve very different demographics and have actually pretty different products? Or do you think that's not really the point? And especially with the high user overlap, which is now at 46.5%, regardless of how the platforms brand and market their strategies, users basically treat them the same. They're just places to get entertained and turn off your brain and maybe, if you're in the mood, to interact with your favorite creator in a live streaming session and buy some stuff. In other words... All this stuff about Douyin as catering to users' more aspirational desires and Kuaishou being more grassroots, authentic, down-to-earth, and therefore sometimes ugly and weird and disgusting. What do you think? Yay or nay? Agree? Disagree? Or maybe it just doesn't matter? Tweet at us and let us know what you think. Okay, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. We really enjoyed putting this together, as usual, and we are always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at ThePandaily, at TechBestChina, and my personal Twitter account is R-U-I-M-A. And my Twitter is spelled G-I-N-Y-G-I-N-Y. Tech Buzz China by Pandaily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network on SubChina. Pandaily.com is an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Sha Wan and Kaiser Guo. Thank you for listening.